Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Cosmic Salon, and I have the wonderful Dr. Stephen A. Ross with me today, and we are going to get very deep into the dreaming. I want to let you know that Mr. Ross has quite a few books of interest, so I will read those here. Rife Original Frequencies, 1936, and The Mysterious Nemoscope. And this is fascinating territory. And then also, Royal R. Rife Shattered. And then the uh, seminal book, I believe, And Nothing Happened But You Can Make It Happen. And then we move right into A Grand Design of Dreams, Contemplating Divine Revelation. And I think for me, this book here, this next one, is absolutely something that is a gift. They're all a gift to the collective. But this, if you enjoy Mr. Manley P. Hall's contribution to the collective, this is an extra special gift. Manley P. Hall's unpublished pages of The Secret Teachings of All Ages. And we may touch upon that. And then there's something right up my alley, poetry and channeled material through Stephen A. Ross. Now, Stephen is co-founder of World Research Foundation, and we'll get this information from 
Mr. Ross when we bring him on here and we're going to do that. So I just want to say it is a great pleasure to have Stephen here with me today in conversation. Everything that's led up to this point where we are in the dreaming, where we are in our consciousness and our journeys is always building upon where we've been. And it is synchronicity for me to see how the pathway unfolds some of us have a little foresight because we recognize patterns and we are open and we see the broader scale of things but we are talking to a man who has a massive library i can't even something like fifty thousand books will get the i don't even know if steve has a full count on the number but it's absolutely massive and there is this esoteric idea that to be even in the presence of a book is a magical act to swim within them changes your consciousness whether you read them or not and now we know stories of people that can just be with a book and know exactly what it's read there are stories out there i am also a book hound and i love the old ones and the the ones in vellum especially have something extra to them if you have never had your hands on one from the 1400s or the 1500s in vellum i really suggest you find your way to that part of the library there's usually that part of any library where you can encounter these beings of knowledge so with that said i am going to bring on the one and only stephen a ross hello stephen welcome to the cosmic salon Hi, Bernice. Thank you so much. And I just want to begin again by thanking you for this opportunity and letting you know uh, I never take these interviews for granted. Uh, I always appreciate the opportunity to share. And your introduction with the books, of course, warms my heart. I just think you're the bee's knees. Let's talk about you. You know, you've been in a very special position. You've held the Rife Microscope for two years in your own possession you got to be around that and i was listening to one of your presentations where you were mentioning all of the well the telephone game with rife machines and this is very important there's a lot of what i think now the buzzword is misinformation around rife and his technology and what he brought forward. So let's spend a few minutes here in the beginning talking about his impact on your life and then you actually being in possession of that journal and that microscope. It's going to start off in a very wonderful way uh, for you and I in this. Uh, I had been researching information on Dinsha Gitali, who is the great uh, Indian yogi who brought across the spectrochrome color field. And I had been doing research back about 1983, and I had a dream. And this dream, I was living in Southern California. The dream was I went to the Bodhi Tree Bookstore, very, very famous, went to the used book section, went to a particular bookcase, which was in the dream, went to a particular shelf, I was to reach behind the books, and I would find something there. Well, that was a Friday night. 
I was so excited. Saturday, I run down to the Bodhi Tree bookstore. I go exactly as the dream said. I reach my hand behind these books, and there was this interesting book called New Light on Therapeutic Energies. And I was so excited because I opened it up and chapter three showed Dinshaw Gadali in color. Two chapters later was information which I had never seen about Royal Rife and the Rife microscope. And so, of course, years later, I'm thinking, well, that dream was really more about Royal Rife because as soon as I started reading and finished that chapter, I called a good friend of mine, Dr. Harry Lusk, who was in 80s, president of Hollywood Presbyterian Hospital. I asked him, have he ever heard of the Rife microscope? And he says to me, well, when I was a young man, and already niche, I'm thinking, whoa, if, when you were a young <laughs> man, it's like 60 years ago. He says, yeah, there were rumors about this incredible microscope. And he, Harry says to me, there was this old geezer who talked about having the microscope. And I said, whoa, do, do you have his phone number? And Harry says, Steve, I've moved three or four times. Um, I have no idea where it is. Well, the next morning, Nish, I get a call and Harry's, Steve, Steve. I go, Harry, what, what's the matter? He said, I stepped, I stepped out of my bed and on the floor was the phone number. I said, Harry, maybe it was there all the time. He goes, Steve, come on. And I said, he said, well, I tried many years ago to call the number of his never answered. Harry, I, I called the number. I, I got a response with John Crane. He ended up inviting me. And within one year, I was in possession of the Rife microscope. This is incredible. <laughs> I, mean, <laughs> I, I think the most interesting or fun for me was listening to Harry kind of babbling on the phone. Going, right there under my foot. Spirit works in beautiful ways, doesn't it, Nish? I mean, of course, my dream led me there. Uh, I consider myself a caretaker. And so the, the various information I've received from Spirit, uh, what I received from John Crane was not only uh, for two years the right microscope, but 500 personal letters of all of the doctors. And later I was to acquire Rife's original laboratory notebook, which I reprinted in one of the books you mentioned, uh, as well as the, the guest book of all the visitors of Rife. And why that's interesting is because in the picture of about 25 doctors celebrating the end of disease because of the Rife microscope, all but four of them would later claim they never knew Wright, they never met him, they never went to a dinner party, but I have the original guest book, and these doctors definitely retained it. This declaration of the end of disease, was, wasn't it in 1932? Yes, it was, and the doctors were, my God, the who's who of medicine, Mayo Clinic, Northwestern, John Hopkins, 
these were doctors of great repute and they knew they they were like gods even today at their clinics uh, and their universities they were absolutely sure that they had found the answer through the electromagnetic spectrum and there of course lies the challenge we are in a pharmaceutically chemical dominated still that era and because there was more bringing us into physics, and there was no internet to really proliferate it accurately at the time. Now, of course, we have it, but you, you would reference the idea of the telephone. There is so much misinformation out there. Unfortunately, while there was great promise with our technology, there is also the proliferation of very false information. Looking back now and speaking candidly, of course, do you think that this cover up of the rife information and and then subsequently this kind of cult that built around some of the falsified stuff, some you know, you you've actually dealt with some of this telephone game where uh, I think you told somewhere that uh, because you had it or something, I'm, I'm could be stretching here because it's been a minute since I listened to this, but um, you know, you heard this story that you or your partner were murdered in the yard or something. And, <laughs> and, and this is a funny story and it's, it's absolutely how these things get out of control. But I'm wondering what your thoughts are on how this is all played out because the end of disease in 1932, which is a very long time ago, and here we are in the midst of disease mania, right? With all yep. these abilities to heal ourselves through color and all this that have been there all along, this cover-up and then misdirect and then mishandled information of the rife information is almost like a poster child for how so many things have gone that have been for the betterment of us. No, that, that's extremely well said. And what we were referring to uh, earlier was how I received a call from a woman who, um, when I was in L.A., and I, I had six staff people that I happened to answer the phone. And she said, I understand your, your founders were shot dead on their front porch. And I said, really? <laughs> and uh, I said, where'd you hear this? Well, I was at a uh, group meeting in a condo, and uh, they closed the curtains, and they showed a movie by Nikola Tesla, Orson Welles, by the way, which is a classic. And then after a man stood up and tells the story of the right microscope and how the founder, and your founder, Stephen Ross, was killed. And she said, did, did you know him well? And I said, well, actually, I saw him in the mirror this morning. <laughs> she, the, the mirror? Oh, are you Steve Ross? I said, yes, I am. And having the original lab book where there were about 60 frequencies, imagine today people running around with these right frequency devices with thousands of frequencies. 
including when I was surfing the internet several years ago, Rife's love frequency. So I contacted, uh, not by call because I couldn't reach the person through the internet. And I said, where, where did you get this love frequency? And I said, Rife never did that. Oh, yes, he did. I said, where did you get your information? I got it off of another website. <laughs> well, you, you are spot on. Uh, we have so much misinformation. <clears throat> I've actually had people argue with me uh, that they know right when I'm sitting with all of with the right microscope, all of the letters of his people, all of the frequency manuals, so many originals, and yet they're arguing that I didn't know what I was talking about. So even if you have the truth, and I contacted Wikipedia, which to me is the worst information source, because everything with electromagnetics is put down. For Rife, they said he purportedly built a microscope. He purportedly saw things. Rife machines kill people. So I contacted Wikipedia. I said, look, if I have the original material, I want to put it. Um, we don't allow anybody to add information. He said, I have the original materials. Sorry. Oh, my goodness. That's how it is now. What year was that, Stephen? Uh, I contacted him about three years ago. But later I was to find out the person who runs the Wikipedia was a consultant for the pharmaceutical industry. Yeah. So you read about color and electromagnetics and frequencies in these, it's all uh, really put down. And yet we, we have so many stories of great researchers. Bajor Nordenstern, the chairman of the Nobel Assembly, discoverer of needle biopsy, comes up with a therapy to shrink cancer tumors using electricity. I flew him out from Sweden to L.A., and the Los Angeles Times called him a alternative medical practitioner because he was dealing with electricity. Jeez. You address a lot of this, and nothing happened but you can make it happen. And this yes. is, it's a, you know, for me, this is a sad thing that that book had to be written, personally. Because we're looking at all these amazing technologies now that are decades old, and some of it is springboarding conceptually. We could go into the the yonder land and say, you know, this is ancient technology that Egyptians had and Sumers, Sumeria had and and all that. And I know that there's a lot of, I don't know, vitriol that comes into these conversations still in this day and age. But the fact is, it seems like everyone that comes forward trying to present this, the real technology and the real healing techniques get shot down. Now, we're, I think you're familiar with the trail of dead and the cover ups and the smear jobs and all this. This is a dark dream. This is a dark narrative, and I'm constantly trying to understand why. What are these forces that do not want us to live in 
beauty and harmony and the higher things in life? What are these forces that are trying to keep us subdued? No matter what our own stance is in our personal lives, the, the higher values that we hold, if you get sick, you get cut, chemo burned, and, you know, how is this, Stephen? How is this still going on? What What is this force? Greed. It, it's greed and ego, which is prevalent within um, our society. Uh, Nish, let's look at this. People admire the movie stars and the athletes. God, I want to be like them. And yet, if you look at how many of them end up dying from drugs, having all kinds of health problems, what people aspire to may not hold what they think. Now, if somebody's from Harvard, Yale, MIT, they've got to be brilliant. So if they say the world is flat, there are going to be people who go, oh, well, Pat, these super degree people have to know what they're talking about. Uh, it, I, I think it's a combination. The first part is the greed and ego. The second part is people have been dumbing down to not to trust their own self. They can see something as true, but then if an expert says, no, it's the opposite, they do not believe they are wise enough. That is why you have your show and my mission I'm going to be 75 in January. I've been doing this 50 years now. You know, the first 20 years, I was talking about all the politics and this and that. And then the last 20 years, I decided I am going to try to open up people's awareness to empower them so that their vision, their acceptance of what is truly there will take precedence over the emperor's new clothes syndrome. And so it is a combination. Now, I, I have to say everything going on in the world now with the media and people glued, unfortunately, the people are going outward niche, outward, 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 instead of inward, into the true comforter that's coming is our own higher self. Because our TV and radio is blaring, because we're arguing that we know better. You know, I heard something it's like a billion galaxies with a billion stars. But we know it all, don't, don't we, Nish? <laughs> we're the smart race. Uh, never mind who created all this, and there's got to be rhyme and reason. We know it better. So uh, why does it continue? The outer is a manifestation of the inner. I have to tell you, the wars that are going on, the conflicts, is that any different than the Republicans and the Democrats beating themselves up? Is it any different than corporations? Instead of there being wars, there's corporate takeover. The outer is a manifestation of the inner. And if we shy away from beauty and love, and harmony, and we dwell on these vibrations, we are bearing the fruits of where our thoughts are. Yes. 
And yet you have said, you said very plainly that seeing it is not participate. Seeing it is seeing it. And to, to turn away is one thing. I don't know how you phrased it, but it was not an igni- ignorance of what's going on. Right. That, and that's, that's correct. I, I, I do not ascribe to uh, burying my head in the sand. But, you know, it was the ancient philosophers. And so, um, as you're aware, most of my presentations are always from the ancients. In fact, my joke is, if somebody says, hey, have you heard of so-and-so or read this book? And I go, well, it's a person born after 1920. I go, well, yeah. I go, no, I haven't. I am going back because we keep reinventing the wheel we keep not understanding. We think because we have fast computers and beautiful cars, our culture is wise. However, uh, it isn't so. The ancients would say this, to observe what is going on, to act in a way that your inner self tells you is the most appropriate, but not to allow the other forces to put you uh, mentally down or uh, getting upset because then you are letting the outer influence the inner. When you get yourself in harmony and balance and you look at what is going on and you listen to that higher self within you, not the, the garbage and hooey outside, but within your own inner self, then you act in the most appropriate manner, which resonates with the highest and best. When I do healing work, I don't look and say, oh, I want this person to heal that. I ask that the highest and best that can manifest happen. Now, perhaps that is somebody has to keep their difficulty, their challenge, because this is their life lesson. So it isn't burying in the sand, and I'm glad you brought that up. It is reacting from the highest and best man. Yeah, I, I'm with you on the old older sources, too. It's been apparent to me for quite some time that we're in some sort of strange causality loop. And reinventing the wheel is definitely a, a way to put it. I mean... I could make a case for almost everything, even on the most mundane surface of level of fashion looping. You know, people think this is all so wild, but then you can see the 1970s version of the 1920s, and then you can see it in the 1790s. And, you know, these same loops go back. I guess this is why it is so important to look back to move forward. And I've always enjoyed your stance on, because I learned this in university myself, that we build upon, you You use the paper with the paper clip. We stand on the shoulders of the greats and we go further with it. And this is a principle that was taught when I was in school. And it doesn't seem to be taught, but right now they're letting people out that don't know how to read and write, and they've omitted mathematics for a lot of people. This is terrifying to me. And even and even the cursive writing it's gone. Is, is being eliminated. Yeah. So people can't even write or or 
recognize the written word yet. It's mind-blowing to me, actually, that this is what's coming out of the teaching facilities in the United States, States especially, because how is that going to be something that is going to serve the collective moving forward because it's basically a state of ignorance. And I hate to be so bold with that word, but it's true. If you can't read and write and you're relying on your devices to do this, if you can't do mathematics and understand the beauty of sacred geometry that's everywhere, then what are your cognitive abilities What's going to happen? This feels like it's going to entropy in some way. Yeah, well, it's like any other muscle. If you don't uh, exercise, you know, it was a wise uh, Paracelsus, a great alchemist in the 1500s, who told the story of how an individual in this town decided to lock himself in a cabin and close all the openings completely. And after two weeks, the people in the town were very concerned, and they broke into the house and found the individual dead. Now, at that time, they couldn't, the regular people couldn't figure it out, but Paracelsus reasoned, whoa, there was something in the air. And so he recognized that if you close off all of the avenues, all of the venues, all of the windows, where you don't have a fresh input, you end up with blockage, stagnation, and death. And so you can carry that to every phase that you just mentioned. When we block off, or as Emerson said, when I find narrow viewpoints, I find narrow reading. When we block it off, when our way is the only way, when we keep our fist closed, nothing more can be grasped. This is what is happening in the year, in the era of specialization, in this era where I know best in my little circle and I don't want to hear anything. We are witnessing in our world the atrophy, the stagnation, which will lead to ultimate death. Now that's as blatant as I can make just looking back at the great gardeners that people don't know anymore, we could go into the Asian world, especially when a gardener was planting, say, a ginkgo tree for the next generation because they grow so slow. Things that are planted for the next hundred years and uh, moving forward. And of course, we can get into the ideas of wabi-sabi and all these wonderful practices. These things are talking about how we move forward from where we are, but how did we get here? And you've got to be able to comprehend where we've been. So this this is becoming alarming. I wanted to kind of jump over since we're in this territory. I was not aware of this until I listened to one of your presentations somewhere along the way, but the Nemoscope. This was really provocative for me, Stephen. This was very, very provocative. So you 
presented the photos he had and all this information of course he he died in a mysterious way that of course looks as suspicious as all these other deaths and then he's gone from history save people like you who put him in a book you know talked about this and some other people that are talking about it but this is this is terrifying to me and those images are absolutely fantastic. It's hard to conceive that we had this technology way back in the 50s and we could look at something under that kind of magnification. And, you know, the virus looks very kind of old school demon almost right it looks very nefarious it's got it's got a vibe and so you know but we actually have pictures instead of what we're used to here in the modern day with artist renditions and so could you touch on this a bit and let's get into a little bit of the darkness of of this cover-up with that because that again on the heels of the rife microscope and the rife information and the color stuff, we shouldn't be having the reality we're having right now. And yet here we are. Yeah. Interestingly, of course, uh, what a long connection I've had with rife and, um, we're talking about light source microscopes versus an electron where you put, um, an element in a vacuum tube was bombarded by electrons, so you, you couldn't watch anything live. Uh, normal light source microscopes still would do 1,800 magnification. Rife's microscope was 60,000. And the nemoscope I was later to run across, curiously, uh, in one of my adventures, did 3.5 million where you could see down to the atomic level, including the energy fields holding the atoms together. Now, before I say a little bit more, I know on the internet, when you look it up, I've got these physicists debating, oh, this is nonsense. This picture is computer uh, manipulated. It couldn't exist. It's ridiculous. Well, unfortunately for them, uh, I, uh, I received the original Nemus lab book with all the original photographs, which were really taken in the 1940s, way before the computer was out, and they're not computer enhanced. And these physicists, just like the other individuals I talked about, just spend garbage because of it doesn't fit into their system. So this Nemuscope, took pictures of magnetic flux lines. That is the positive and negative side of the magnet, which are spirals. And no human eye has ever seen these pictures. The virus of cancer, uh, energy fields that are um, emanating when substance is agitated, uh, the atomic. The it, it's just incredible. Now, it was stolen out of a camera shop, and the presentation book was off the premises. And uh, I'd like to share a funny story here, and that is I met the woman who happened to have Nemesis presentation book uh, in 1980, and she and I spoke, 
Betty Lee Morales. Um, she was an ex-CIA agent, actually. And we spoke to about 30 minutes and told her what my line of work was, and I was a caretaker. Well, uh, about 10 years later, when I moved from L.A. to Sedona, I get a telephone call. This is Stephen Ross. Yes. Can you prove your Stephen Ross? And I'm a jokester. I'm going, <laughs> well, I have a driver's license. I, I'm, I am me. And the, and the man says, no, no. I need more proof that you were located in 15300 Ventura Boulevard. You were president of world research. And I said, well, I have moved. I haven't saved my uh, utility bills. How about if I show you um, newspaper clippings? He said, fine. Well, and I said, who are you? I am a lawyer. I have a box with your name. I have no idea what's in here. So he ends up sending it. And niche in there is all of the Nemoscope material. Wow. I was completely, <laughs> completely overwhelmed. But this has happened many times. For your people in the audience to know Marcel Vogel, who worked with crystals. Yes. I ended up being in his will, and he sent his library, uh, aspects of his library here. So um, I'm a caretaker. Things come through dreams. I have a reoccurring dream. I know I'm bouncing around, and please forgive me, but I have a reoccurring dream of being in a library. Now, Niche, isn't that a surprise? And there's a line of people. And at the front of the line is a podium with a man. And I get to the front. And he says, we, we would now like you to study Caligaris. We would now like you to study. And they would give me name. I go out and I collect everything I can. For me, everything is intertwined with dreams. I'm putting Vogel on the shelf here for a minute. I did not know this, and I, I want to touch on that. So th the stuff with the Nemoscope, and this, of course, does tie into Vogel. Well, it was, it was stolen, and there was no Internet at the time. Now, when I started with Rife, there were maybe a few hundred websites. Now there's like hundreds of thousands. But for the Nemoscope, there isn't that many websites, and so people would not be familiar except for two articles that appeared. One was in Magnets Magazine in 1986, and one was Science Magazine in 1964, where they said, is this the first pictures of atoms? Other than that, there nobody would know anything uh, regarding the nemoscope. Now, I have to point something out because obviously there are some aspects of conspiracies, but, but let's remember this niche. When Wright came out with his microscope, RCA came out with the electron microscope. RCA had buku bucks and all kinds of advertisements, and they were PRing like crazy, the electron. So... There was no internet. You, you've got a huge company with an electron. We're getting two million magnification. And so it dwarfed. Right. Were there other things? Of course. But I, I like to balance it out by saying 
sometimes there's just bad timing. Yeah, and I appreciate that because, well, you know, I appreciate the truth. I don't care really what what's around it, the housing or how we get to it. I just think, and of course, a broad scope is a good way to get to the truth. So you step back and you don't get emotional and you try to stay neutral and allow the information to inform you. But when we're looking at the nemoscope information and these images that you have shared, they're out there from your presentations. These are really provocative. The energy field around things. I mean, what I'm seeing in them and the connections between them, this looks like sacred geometry to me. This, I mean, this, this you are is right on. Exactly. As above, so below. It is incredible. Yes. Yes. But isn't, you know, our physical body, the, the old alchemist, especially Paracelsus and above and below, he stated that for every star and plant in the universe, there is a corresponding foci point, F-O-C-I, in the human body that mirrors everything that exists outside. And if we want to get in tune with that, we reach into our own foci within, which gets gets us in direct contact with with the outer. And so, yes, you're right. When you look at those pictures, um, whether it's the vibration, it's just phenomenal. And uh, you can see I get excited about it because, yeah, I having the original pictures and looking at at the forms and the shapes that the the energy takes and circular motion. Yes, you're, you're right. This to me was game changer. And it brings in this idea of morphing and biomorphing and all that. What were the implications back then? Because biomorphing is now becoming more of a present conversation, but as we're looking at some of the patents that go back decades now, and I have to assume they're somehow, well, I think they're somehow connected to this, but there's no mention of Elmer at all, and there's no mention of his technology. But to me, in my little dream, I see a connection and I'm wondering how that goes because right now everyone's talking about the biofield and in a new age since, you know, this is the aura, right? This is our aura field. But I think biofield is a better way to look at this. It's there. It's real. It's, it has at least for real been validated since Nemos did showed us this he i mean he showed us this definitively and so this is decades since then and this information has been obscured from us it's been occulted well but i'm going to go even back further Farrell saxton bird urr yale university came out with his books on l field the letter l fields the fields of life he even 30 years, 20 years before Elmer Niemann's showed that these fields are the real basis of all life. It was Harold Saxton Burr that laid out the proper time when a woman could get pregnant. It was Harold Saxton Burr 
who showed and they developed their own equipment at Yale University where a cancer tumor or any tumor would spring on the body way before there was any physical manifestation. And I want your audience to really understand what I'm saying. Before there was any, quote, physical manifestation, he knew that the electrical potential of the field was altered and that a tumor was going to grow way before anything was seen or could even be measured. And he did that in the late 20s and 1930s. Harold Saxton Hurt. So you and I are back to reinventing the wheel. And by the way, I'm laughing because we talk about color therapy. Pythagoras was doing color therapy in 550 BC. <laughs> That's the real old guard. <laughs> That's the, yes, with the, with the Pythagorean triangle. Yes, and, and the, uh, the the sound. Uh, the, yes, the cosmos. I mean, these people were brilliant. But we can keep tracing. And of course, I have an advantage because I have these materials. I'm glorified librarian. So it, it's easy um, to do this. It reminds me too, um, Bajoran Nordenstern, who shrank the with electricity and was the chairman of the Nobel Assembly. I had mentioned earlier when the Old Time City is an alternative practitioner. His therapy, there's no side effects. So uh, when he was in L.A., he had his wonderful book. He signed it to the president of the World Research Foundation, to the author, and was putting his book in the electrical section. He shrank cancer to electricity. Well, there was a dog, dog-eared, binding, broken book in the electricity section next to it. So he pulls it out of the shelf. In this little book, the doctor shrank breast cancer tumors in 1877. <laughs> Nordstrom didn't he? Never, never. I know he didn't know about it. He'd never heard about it. In fact, it was bizarre because he was almost upset with me. <laughs> we had this because Discover Magazine said Dr. Nordstrom the biomedical discovery of the century. And here's a person 106 years earlier. But as my friends like to point out, he was the first in this century, but he wasn't the first. You know, the, one gets a sense of feeling really lied to and misled about the reality around us. And th- this can take many forms. Wait a minute, I'm supposed to be uplifting you, Nish. <laughs> well, no, 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 no. I am, I, I, I'm, I'm, that light within me is bright and strong. Okay. And so, but I am one to look at yes. where we are and how we got here. When I came to this sense that everything we had been taught had been some sort of a, a misdirect, and that's being kind, that's being kind. And then, of course, without these misdirects, one is called to question reality, I think. I think most kids are. I had those moments, and I never let those go as a little kid. So I was 
I was truly that little kid that asked, why is the grass green? I know that's a cliche, but I really wanted to know about color when I was little. I couldn't understand it. I was so overwhelmed by the beauty outside and I didn't understand. And so that led me on this lifelong journey of questioning. And the more I questioned certain things, the more I would find myself up against an impasse or another impasse. And then the mystery, you know, the Alice in me is like, what is over there? And here we are. But so when we're talking about this kind of healing, though, this is such a big deal, especially now when everyone is dealing with major health issues, one way or another, however you want to look at all that. But the system seems to be going backwards. And we know if we look backwards, at, if we look into the past, Rife and these other geniuses brought forth ways in which we could live in high health and, and beauty and focus on the, the beautiful things. And so we already talked about the money trail and allopathy and all that. But I feel there's a spiritual component here, Stephen. And this is where my life is. And I I already told you about my experience with that shining being and dreaming. And like you, dreams have informed my entire life from day one. I learned so many things directly in dreams that people are so surprised. I learned how to temple dance in dreaming. And then when I went to actually learn to temple dance they were surprised that I was doing temple dancing. And so this was the story of my life. And I, I've loved all these stories with you. So here we are. We are in this moment. And I feel like spiritually, wherever you are, whatever your religion yeah. is, something big is happening. We're on a precipice. Yes, I agree. What do you think about this? I definitely agree, but I'm, I'm going to segue for one quick second because we're talking about color. I, I know your audience doesn't see, but I just noticed your logo with that color was the shirt I was wearing today. I know. I, saw, I immediately noticed that. So, sorry to digress, but you know, that's how we are. It's the little uh, things. <laughs> we, were, we were in resonance because I hadn't seen that before, and I go, I'm going to wear this shirt today. <laughs> so, uh, th- to your audience, that's resonance. Um, yes, I I have had that feeling that uh, uh, in the midst of what appears to be a tremendous amount of chaos and um, hardships and challenges and bitterness, uh, at the same time, I believe that this is all aspects for people to make choices. Um, you know, people try to say that uh, we want to have heaven on earth. Well, why would we do that? Why would we leave spirit and come down here to create the same thing that's in spirit, but it doesn't last here? This is a schoolroom. Yes. This is a schoolroom where people have opportunities where they can demonstrate how they utilize creative energy. Now, creative energy doesn't mean you have to be an author or a painter or a poet. It means as you are walking through life, as you are interacting with your energies, 
Are you planting flowers or are you creating ground swells? And so we have an opportunity to compare and contrast. Is this really the highest and best? Is this really how my revelator would act? Because I have a cross on my uh, chest, I'm a Christian. Now, here's the big difference in life. The ancient philosophers didn't just use a title. It was a lifestyle. It was a way of interacting with the planet and fellow human beings. And today, because of titles, I'm a Christian. I'm a theosophist. <laughs> I'm a this. I'm a that. No, you're not. You're not, because it's a lifestyle. And if you were truly following the lifestyle of your revelator, you wouldn't be doing three quarters of the actions that you're doing. So, yes, I believe that there's a lot of stuff. I, I think excretion is going to be hitting the fan because we're spinning out of control down here completely with the people who are supposed to be the leaders. They're not the leaders. Yeah. They're not good examples. Yeah. There are no examples. There's very few. So what, what can we do? What do we do if there really is no great examples that are predominantly in our eye? Well, you need to go internally. You need to say, you know that person that I just read who just gave and didn't ask anything in return, who shared, those are angels. Those are people walking the talk. That is where I think we are. Because all the institutions are going down. They're falling apart. They have, they have no control. And so what do I think is happening? I believe uh, you are absolutely correct. We are on the precipice now of uh, people graduating from this planet. And the people who are going to graduate are the people who are understanding, living in harmony, and following the precepts, just like any other university. Now, I come across, quote, spiritual people. This magic thing is going to happen, and we're all going to reach <laughs> higher consciousness. That would be the equivalent of saying, this elementary school is now a high school. We've magically con That's nonsense. <laughs> that is the spiritual gibberish yes. that is out now. Now, I know I, I, I don't like to talk a long time and not share, but I do want to share this. Another dream I had right before one of my presentations locally here. I was walking along the ocean with all of the truth seekers. To my left was the ocean. And straight ahead on the sand was a woman in blue attempting to speak. But, but I couldn't see her because of the fog, the smoke that was there. And as I got closer... I realized it was the goddess Sophia, the goddess of wisdom. And to my right and her left were horseshoe stands. And in there were all the new thought writers, or the majority of them, and the courses, and the this and the that. The smoke was coming out of their mouths, obliterating her. And I thought, oh my gosh, if these people who were following are causing this, what are we 
to do. And a breeze blow off the ocean and cleared. And I heard the following words. All that is needed is a beautiful heart, an open mind, and a humble spirit. You don't need the courses. You don't need the books. You don't need opinions of people who can't even walk their own talk. I have been in lectures. I have been presentations with the majority of the people that everybody hears about that have written the book. My opinion, some of them are not even nice people. Yes. They do not walk the talk. They will treat a server at a restaurant. They will treat other speakers like they're second-class citizens. Now, that is their choice, and I'm not condemning them. But I do like what the Spirit showered. A beautiful heart, an open mind, and a humble spirit. And I challenge the audience in Sedona, I would challenge your audience. Do you feel that you can do that? Walk there. You don't need special courses. You don't need to spend all kinds of money. You don't need the sixth degree of wisdom from people who really don't even know what they're talking about. If they did, they would act in the highest and best principles. Anyway, that's my soap opera, Back to Reality with You. I love this dream, and I found it, when you, when I first heard it, so profound. I sat there, I actually stopped. Uh, I've heard you talk about it a couple times, but I stopped and I sat with it because I think it absolutely encapsulates so much of what's gone on in my life looking at the rise of what became known as the new age movement and and the gurus for everyone and 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 this selling this and that and gatekeepers more gatekeepers and there we have sophia herself our lady wisdom the the wisdom of the earth the wisdom of the realm and the fog of these people. It reminds me of cults that come around people like Jung. You know, Jung at his 80th birthday party, his fear is what happened, literally what has happened to, to him. You know, there's a cult around Jung and it's what he feared. And this is relevant because the source is always there for any of us. That's what people have to understand. It's there, it's immediate. And everybody has access to it. If you trust yourself and believe in yourself. But see, this is what some of these people, and by the way, I didn't say the fog was wrong. It was just their opinion. It was these writers, these people's experience. I got in a conversation with uh, some spiritual entities, and I asked them this question. Supposedly, by our concept here, when you go over in spirit, you can create your reality even in spirit. Now, if that is true, and you and I go to mediums and psychics and one thing and another, and that spirit is coming through, is that spirit not giving us information based on their awareness? And I asked the spirits I spoke to, Am I correct? And they said, yes. And so I said, well, 
Is there some greater fundamental, something greater that is the reality of the spirit world? And they said, yes. In fact, we joke over here and call it our, our spiritual internet. Now, any we can call it the Akasha. Anybody can tune into it if they choose. But if they choose their reality to be limited, even though they have access, that spirit's going to give you what it understands as its truth based on its interpretation. And so the Akashic Record is not a reading book. It's similar. And somebody's going to interpret it based on their awareness. So I said to the spirits, well, well, what's the answer there? And they said, to not have any preconceived notions when you come over here and to be as open as possible. This is a really beautiful segue into your book, Poetry and Channeled Material Through You. Will you walk us through what this is when you're talking to spirit, when you're when you're piercing the veil and you are in communication? Now, dream language, this was happening for you all along. This happens to all of us all along. And I think people get lost in all of the dogma that comes from other people telling you how this happens and what it is. Give us more here, Stephen. Yes. Um, well, it all started for me from a Native American in a place called North Hollywood, California, which is not a spiritual mecca. And the spirit, he was a full transmedium, and the spirit came in, coming through said, all you future guidance is going to come in your dreams. And I have a PhD in finance. I was... Uh, all-American athlete. I had nothing to do with spiritual, the occult, but uh, all my guides are going to come in dreams. And Nisha was so excited to have a dream. I went one week without sleeping deep enough. And finally, I was just dog tired and I had a dream. <clears throat> and in that dream, it was, uh, I heard a voice say, what kind of animal was Steve? And in the dream was a picture book of animals and this voice and finger pointed. But before I told, tell you what it is, what, what it was, I, I recognized the voice as a friend of mine, a, an athletic friend who I thought I had a good relationship with. So I called them up and I said, Bob, is there anything bothering you about me? He goes, no. I asked a second time. And by the way, I was 23. I asked a third time, he said, are you sick? What's your problem? I don't know why. I said, I want to be a better person. And he said, well, there is something bothering me. Do you remember what you did to our teammate, Harold? And I go, no. He said, everybody looked up to you. You were all, are all American. Now, you never spoke, but you would glare at people. And now this is Bob still talking. When Harold and I went out for pizza later, he threw up because he couldn't win your approval. And I thought you were a real hog. Gosh, picture book was a hog. And then after that, I had five and six dreams every night for three months on every phase of my personality, my likes, my dislikes. And then I started getting telephone numbers just telephone number. I would have a legal pad. I taught myself to not open my eyes. 
I would write, turn the pages, go back to sleep, and, and write. And then the next day, I would call the telephone number, not knowing what the heck it was, and thinking, I'm going to be real clever. I'm going to ask for Jim. And the voice would say, people waiting for you. They're waiting for me. We have something for you. And you can see it in the bathroom. I would go to those places and be given material. And so this continued on. I was shown my past lives in my living And then I would start getting poetry. 24 line, 16 line, perfect poetry on life, the world. And so I wrote my book, The Brand Design of Dreams, because I kept my dream journals for 40 years. And I realized more people just interpret the dream. But I started realizing, wait a minute. There is um, divisions here. There are topics. So I started going, okay, well, this was a dream about uh, personality. This is a dream about psychic death. This is a dream about how to live in harmony. This is about love. And so I came up with this, what I believe personally for me, a grand design. And the poetry that I wrote, came through uh, at night, perfectly rhymed. I've never, I've never changed it at all. I've never altered the words. So that is where the, where the poetry is coming. I experience this as well. And, and you out there can as well. Not you, Stephen, because you do. You just told us that. But I'm always trying to inspire people that yeah. this is, this is, we're gifted with this. So when we're talking about the psychic field, which is where I'm going. And I, I want to, I'm going to tie in the stuff we've been kind of. I'm so sorry to interrupt you, but, but can I just interject this at the point you just made yes. with your audience? Yes. Why was I different? Because like Nike said, I just did it. <laughs> I had the guts to call up Costello. And asked him four times, even though he said, are you sick? What's your problem? So I didn't mean to interrupt your flow, but I thought it was important. I'm not different than anybody else, but I decided to follow through. Even though it was way out of my realm, your audience has a great advantage. If they've been listening to you there in the subject, I, I came from a business sports background with not one friend that I knew was into it, and I could make the fool of myself by calling this person. So, excuse me, but I just thought it was apropos that it's to have the audience know, why not? Why not then? That's a note of hope to those out there. I'll tell you, over the years I've been talking about dreams in public and then just privately amongst people, the amount of people I encounter that say they don't dream, and you and I both know that's not true, but the amount of people, they don't give themselves permission to unlock that. And there's a lot of different reasons why there's, you know, these could be in the house, you know, it's like fairy dust or something, or there's a lot of different reasons, different perspective shifts. But once you give yourself permission, 
the floodgates can open. And then I've encountered the conversations where people are like, I want to dream. I want to dream, you know, and then it can be challenging. You know, there's people that say if they're smoking marijuana, they won't dream. But I know the opposite can be true. And so this somehow is some deep seated locking mechanism that could be possibly tied into complexes from early childhood that are set sadly um but like you said we all have this ability i don't care who you are out there and your example is great because you were a jock and it's a different era people don't understand the era you came from at this point sadly and and so that was a different world and that was kind of something in the woo-woo back then for jocks and a lot of, you know, standard American dream nuclear household type people, <laughs> you know. Right. And it's a matter of having confidence. Just share a little story. Uh, you're obviously making so well-versed in things I've shared, but uh, I, I got involved in 1972. That was when I met the Native American. Now, by 1978, people were contacting me. Um, I was just apprehending things through dreams, and they would say, oh, my gosh, would you come and would you uh, speak to us? What, what do you want me to speak about? Oh, just we just want to hear you talk about uh, esoteric spirit. Well, my friend Joanne in Modesto, California, said, Stephen, if I got some people together, uh, would you come up and talk? I have a friend, a woman who's going to rent her home. So I said, yes, and I went. And there was about 30 people there. And throughout the evening, I'm doing my Aquarius thing, you know, with the, the paper airplanes and talking. But every time I looked at the woman whose house it was, she looked perplexed. She, she, she was not mad. She was perplexed. Well, the evening ends and, um, we clean, Joanne and I clean up her home. We're walking out. And this, my spirit told me to say this. I turned to the woman and I said, I wish I was an Oscar Mayer weed. <laughs> the woman starts bawling, heaving. Well, my friend Joanne A looks and goes, what did you say to do this to my friend? And you're supposed to be the spiritual monkey mug. And you just said something bizarre. So we bring her back into the house. She quiets down, and Joanne says, what What happened? Well, all night I was watching Stephen with his lightheartedness, talking about spiritual principles. I'm used to these people making, you know, the day. And during the evening, I just couldn't get that stupid commercial out <laughs> So when he said that, I knew that he knew that I knew that he knew. Yes. I had the guts. Do you really think, especially then, if I thought about it later, that I would turn to somebody and say, I wish I was not for my arena? <laughs> but I trusted the spirit world, as I have for all of my life, that this was something way beyond my consciousness. Here I was given the highest precepts, but that didn't move this lady. But Oscar Meyer did. Now, isn't that something? It's incredible. And I absolutely adore these kinds of stories, especially within psychism, 
because this this is the brass tacks, if you will. This is the bottom line. It is often something so simple. And this is one of the things I loved in studying martial arts that I did for quite a while through the Shaolin Temple, Nagma and all this, is that underflow and that these sifus, you know, they're they're sweeping the floors, they're they're doing toilets, they're in the kitchen, and they are the ones with the real connection. And this is what you just gave us. Here you are talking about all this stuff. You're the premier guy. They bring you in. You know, you're the great and mighty Stephen A. Ross. And there you are. You have the foresight. Or you just let it go. And you move this woman. You you move this woman to tears. And that is, that's life-changing. That's life-changing yeah. over something that seems completely ridiculous. I got goosebumps on that. So let's talk about the psychic field. Let's talk about the veil. And so field, the field. The veil was thinnest it has ever been, ever in the history of this planet. I, I'm making that statement. This is what I've been told. This is what I've been told to share. The veil between the worlds is now the thinnest it has ever been in the history of this planet. I Greater agree. opportunities to speak with our spiritual families, guides, all of them. So, as we're, as we're ruminating in this area... Why do you think this is that time? Because I, I agree, and a lot of the people I um, love interacting with are, are also noticing, sensing, and agreeing with this. Well, because of the things you and I spoke earlier, the chaos, the absolute destruction of a lot of the, quote, temples of knowledge and wisdom, our standard bearers of religion, they're all go they're all going down. They're all falling apart. And where would people turn? Where are people going to get the answers? You and I both know, and the farmers can still do this, but they can look at the weather. They can look at the signs and know what the weather is. Yeah. Now, I gotta admit I can't either. I gotta ask Siri what the heck the, the weather is gonna be that <laughs> and because of this, we are less dependent on our own selves. So in the schoolroom, because everything that has been human-made is falling apart and destroying, the spirit world is giving and presenting the opportunity for us to finally realize we are God. We are that which we are seeking. And it reminds me of a great yoga story, basically, where this top-notch businessman, you know, grinded out, one day wakes up and goes, what is the purpose? What is the purpose of life? Why am I here? And somebody at his office said, you better go to that funky metaphysical bookstore. They have the answer. So the businessman goes over there and says, well, if you have books, how do I know? No, you've got to go to Tibet. They, the yogis up there have the answer. So the businessman immediately flies over there. He's climbing up the mountains. 
wrong time of year, he wasn't dressed, and he passed out. And when he wakes up, these yogis are around him and go, what are you doing here? And he says, I have come to find out the secret of, of the universe and why I'm here. Can you tell me? No. No? Well, where, where's the answer? Where did you come from? And I'm going to use this. He came from your city who's ever listening. And they said, it's there. It's there in New York and Boston and Chicago. And because it's always within you. It's that why the spirits are pointing us back to our own self. Again, that's that Dorothy moment. You had it all along. And the journey, the journey is part of it, though. And we know this. Yes, of course. The journey broadens us. And you've also told that story about, the, I think, the alphabet, where you have the P up close to your face and you realize. <laughs> but can I tell you, the one that I love, that I usually start, because it makes it easier for me with an audience, it's about Aristotle. Aristotle's walking along the banks of the Mediterranean, and in the distance he sees a figure with a bucket taking water out of the Mediterranean and sticking it in a hole. And when he gets close, he finds out it's the town madman. And he says, what, what are you doing? And, and the man looks at him and says, great philosopher, I'm going to empty all of this water so I can see that beautiful blue-green bottom. So Aristotle says to him, well, how are you going to get all of that water into that little hole of you? So the man scratches his head and says, um, great philosopher, what are you doing? And Aristotle throws his hands over his head and goes, I am contemplating the universe. And the man gets up and says, how are you going to get all of that in that little small head of yours? <laughs> it's so perfect. Again, and this is ancient. This is from our ancient elders. <laughs> right. This is from our ancient. And you know, and I, I start every lecture with that because it's about perspective. Yes. Anything I share is my perspective, quote, my truth. Will it be the truth for you? Here's how I would tell people. You, if you feel it inside, everybody will say, no, I know it's the truth that the hair stands up. I know if I feel it in the back of my neck. I feel it if it's, you know, here in my tummy. Go and trust yourself, because when you get a really pure truth, you feel it because there's times that I know your listeners and you and I have listened to somebody and they may have a redemption, but it's not ringing true to us. We're not feeling it because it's a, it's their belief, their story, but it's not our story. Yeah. It's not us. And so this is all happening because the schoolroom, the students in the schoolroom are ripping it apart. They're destroying the buildings, the ground, the air, and the creator of all this is going, well, I've got a couple options here. I can teach six this entire place and just start over somewhere else, which, by the way, has happened to humanity before, yes. and souls on this planet. Yeah. Or we can continue to give them a chance. And because of the unlimited beauty and love for us created beings, 
we're going to be given an opportunity again to make a decision whether we go to the bottles and the material or we resonate with the spiritual. But it's got to be strong enough to really have us look at ourselves and, and that is why this is happening. Yeah. In my opinion. I, I'm with you on that. And see, as we're seeming this together, there seems like there's a clockwork going. And one of the things I've been noticing as I revisit now, because this is what I'm doing, is I'm revisiting old works I used to love and discovering how new they are. And you know this. I mean, I'm looking at uh, thousands of books behind you. And so uh, where we, we, we hit these plateaus and we enjoy the scenery, but I think it's important to maybe thumb through the old records, the old books, the old memories, and see how they look now and how they may have changed. And one of the things I'm noticing in where we are now, Stephen, is there is a grand clockwork. I don't have answers for what it is or how it actually works. I have ideas, I think, like others. But one of the things that feels really prescient to me is that there is some sort of spiritual clockwork. I know the elders talked about this. I've heard ideas out there. But what are you thinking about this? What does this mean in a spiritual context? We do hear, and my brother's keeper, but I, I think we all have to remember something. We, we, you can have a spouse, a partner, you can have friends, and they're really close, you, you share your life, but you're not going to be responsible for what they did when you cross over in the spirit. Now, because you come together, you are telling the universe that you will be going through Whatever the karma is of your partner, mate, friend, neighbor, why, but it's your nature that the two of you are together, and what comes there is going to affect you. Now, what does all this mean? This means that while we are entrusted with at least being in harmony and love with our fellow, we are not responsible for their decisions that they make in life, only our own. And if the world should be hit, God forbid, with a meteor and everything explodes and eight billion spirits end up, you know, souls end up in spirit. An individual is going to reflect and look back at what they did in their life. Did they plant flowers? So when we're talking about this, this time clock, was it not in the Bible stated to make sure that the lamps were filled with oil in case the time came? Just that you're ready. And would it not behoove an individual to walk in harmony and beauty and truth every day? To look back, if you need examples, take your example of your revelator and go, how would Buddha have acted today? How would Jesus have acted today? How would Mohammed, what, whatever it is, because there is not one only. And when and if your time is up, your time is up. But as far as the collective, and I know that is a little bit more 
closer to the question, who's to say? Who's to say when an individual's time is up? And so uh, whenever that is, and I have said that the, the, there's a lot of chaos, there are going to be people who are going to graduate and their soul may say, I, I can't get any more by being here on this planet. That is when you hear 2,000 souls, 14,000 souls, 20,000 souls have died in, in a natural disaster niche. It means those souls do not want to be present during this next phase because they are not ready for that. Yes, I can see this. So back to the L field, back to the biofield and yes. bi- biomorphing. Let's tie in Vogel now. So we've got we've got Rife and we've got Nemos. Nemo. Uh, yeah, and so let's tie in Vogel because I think that the work of Vogel was phenomenal and he brought a science to crystals that brought them up. Now, not that a beautiful or beautiful crystal beings need to be brought up, but they got very fluffy and airy, and there was a lot of stuff that co-opted them. The real power of crystals is phenomenal, and something I was not aware of when I was coming up. My mother was very kind of new agey, and when I started to look into how the military was using them and then the clockworks and all this, I thought, there's a lot more here. And of course, then I find Vogel and all this. You were gifted with, again, more precious paperwork, more ephemera of Mr. Vogel's now. Bring us into some knowing about his work and stuff that may not be commonly known. Well, it's going to be kind of a funny story because I was lecturing at the ARE in Phoenix, Edgar Casey's Associated for Research, and... I, at that time, I had the Rife microscope. And I was lecturing there. I, I used to, I kept it at my office. And while I was there, two men walked up to me. Christopher Bird, who wrote The Secret Life of Plants. I don't know if you're familiar with him, Mish. I have that book. <laughs> and uh, Marcel Vogel. And so, they, a little bit after I had spoken, I didn't, I wasn't speaking on the right microscope then. Um, Marshall Vogel came up to me and um, he said, I'm going to have to edit it for your audience. Who in the heck are you? And why the, do you have the right microscope? How could you possibly have that in your possession? <laughs> and Christopher Bird turns to him and goes, hey, have a little compassion for this kid because I was, you know, new on the block. I was the kid. These guys have been lecturing and doing their stuff. And, and, and Marshall goes, how much did you pay for it? I didn't pay anything. <laughs> that, that was more even more dumbfounding for him. He was like, what the heck? Well, eventually, um, Christopher Bird who had been gathering all of this information on Rife, sent a truck, trunk load of information to me. And 
another lawyer contacted me after Marcel Vogeldine said he's left the majority of his library to you. So there's a story you would never hear. Uh, I've been blessed meeting these people, uh, and then they have entrusted me. And uh, the books here, the, the ability for me to see the type of books someone reads, that is how this entire, you know, it's funny. Uh, nobody's going to see this, but you and I, and I'm pointing like I've got an audience here. Um, this library was built because I wanted to know who inspired who. So when I would come across somebody, I wanted to know who inspired them. And so you trace back and you trace back until you have a 25,000 volume library <laughs> because everything is led to other people and have inspired them. I love what you said earlier. I'm going to give you credit, even though I may have heard it, standing on other people's shoulders. Nisha, I'm going to say that you came up with that. And uh, <laughs> it's it's true that everything has been built upon other people. And reading Vogel's interest in UFOs and science and uh, stretching the boundaries, my God. It, with him, it was, he, he's the classic discoverer, make no boundaries. Push that envelope. You know, I don't know how many of your people know about, really know about rights, but here's one thing that the Smithsonian Institute said in writing about the Rife microscope in 1944. Royal Rife, who for many years has built microscope that far surpassed the limitations. How do you pass a limitation? A limitation means that's it. So they didn't know what else to say. So he just far surpasses all limitations. This is the brilliant people. Make no boundaries. Don't accept what you're told. It was P.P. Quimby, who was truly the father of the New Thought Movement, truly the founder, who said, I am going to only go by what I can discover or experience myself. Otherwise, it's somebody else's opinion. And of course, you and I could do a whole session on P.P. Quimby and how he made his incredible discoveries because he found that thought is like the aroma of a rose. You don't see the aroma, but you can get the fragrance. Yes. All thought on this earth plane leaves our brains and influences other people. This is what this earth plane and people have to understand. How it goes out. It isn't just here. It's a vibration frequency that goes to the ends of the cosmos. So one should be very careful about what you think about. And some of your ills and pains are coming not from your own body, but pick up from other people around you. Anyway, I'm getting this into other areas. By the way, you and I have six hours today. Nisha, is that right? <laughs> we have eight. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, I feel in alignment because I've seen it work. And I guess that's the whole thing here. I've seen it work. And so this idea of emanations, 
the brain waves as emanations, thought waves as emanations, and how they go out and affect the field around us. And I think that there's a lot of confusion around what the field is outside of us. What is this psychic field? Could you break that down a little bit? Oh, my God. I know. I thought you were going to slow pitch easy things for me. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Well, we got, we, we're warmed up now. <laughs> we must be near the end or something. It's like, uh, give us the ordered structure of the universe. And now your audience is going to say, boy, is he copping out all of a sudden? What do, I, what do I think this field is like? Remember this. And they can't see this. I have a bald head. I don't even have hair anymore from too much thinking. And with all that thinking, I have a finite mind trying to discover everything. You said it right. We, we must be in a dream because if, if some of these distant stars are a billion light years away, how you can't, we can't reach this with our physical conveyances. So, it, it, is it a dream? When I used to go to the Griffith Park Planetarium in L.A. and you see all the stars, uh, maybe maybe that's exactly what we're living in. And then the idea of parallel universes. We're living all of our living simultaneously here. Wow. So I've done what they do in politics. I'm pivoting to your question. <laughs> I hope you're going to have me on again, uh, Nishan, because what do I think about the field? I, I think uh, from my reading with the L field and what's there and how did our cells change all completely in seven years? What holds the form together? The pictures of the nemoscope when we see the magnificence of the creator. I recall, I've been very blessed. I've, I've been with a couple of medium channels that I really know we're good. And I would say to them, gee, I, we have a concept of the creator, God here. What is it like when you go over there? And every time the spirit laughs and goes, the magnitude is so overwhelming. In spirit, never mind us here, in spirit, that they're in complete awe. The best they can say is life. Think of it. It's a brighter and brighter and brighter light. But there, there is no answer. So if they can, and if the great Hermes Trismegistus was asked about God, and he put his finger to his lips, Nish, are you going to cut me some slack? That's the best I can do. Oh, I think it's beautiful and perfect. I mean, it's almost one of those that we can't find words. And this is sparked off of that. When I look at some of the illuminated beings throughout different religions, right? And we have all this wonderful artwork around them. And then we've got some clues into the artwork. So some of them show them just in illumination. It's just this light all around them. And then we've got more like the halo type, which is more symbolic of this light. But yeah. one gets a sense that this emanation is definitely internal and it's moving outward. Correct. When you yeah. look, and I know you've got illuminated works in there, of course you do. So when 
when we're looking at this type of imagery, this symbol in the outer world, this idea of, and I, I really just, I kind of flinch in saying this enlightenment, because I think that that everyone has some sort of a feeling of what that is. But I, when I ask, you just said it in what? In enlightenment, yes. <laughs> in light. They are in, this person is in light. The, these individuals are dwelling from their higher self, not from, you're, you're still looking at their, quote, physical self, but the emanation is that light, in light, is coming from this individual in harmony with the highest God's self within them. This to me has sentience. Light has sentience. Absolutely. Now, I mean, we could do go on and on with with light. And Pythagoras spoke of light. Uh, uh, Paracelsus spoke of light. That the substance of God is truth. And the body of God is life. Mm. The fact said that 550 BC. Oh, that's amazing. So I listened to last night, I listened to your top 10 books. And this is such a wonderful chat. I really love this one. And I did not want it to end. That's how much I loved it. I felt sad when she was wrapping it up. And I was like, no, no. <laughs> When I'm asked about top 10 lists or any list, it's difficult, but you're looking at 50,000 plus books and, and this just is daunting. And the 10 books you've picked were absolutely just glorious. And, and there were a couple in there that I need to get, but. You know, Paracelsus was in there, but I want to jump into the color one. And so we've woven in Rife and Nemos and uh, Marcel Vogel. And now let's look at color. I was studied as a painter and I'm from the old school learning. I'm Gen X. So I, I learned actually, we had to learn how to make our pigments and stuff like this. They don't do this anymore in, in, in college. And, um, we had to take color theory. It was an absolute mandatory class and it got into the science of it and angstrom units and all this. And now they don't do that. But I was intrigued by color that moment. Something sparked in me because, of course, it's energy, it's light, it's vibration. And I started to understand that my relationship with color, and blue's always been really my favorite color, the different shades of it, it was more than I was aware of consciously and how we're attracted to different colors when you're not feeling well you can find yourself attracted to different hues and you notice animals do this naturally when i have cats and they're they're not feeling well i notice they'll go towards the greenest patch of grass they will go to the and 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 where it's like a little uh, nookie you know kind of place this is a big deal, and it's bigger than most people realize, except for people in these conversations. So let's talk about that book that made your top 10 and how that plays into these other things we're talking about with these uh, therapies. So 
let's go back a little and say science, a lot of scientists feel the greatest discovery that we have is the spectroscope. Because with the spectroscope, looking at stars, they were able to tell what is the elemental makeup based on the color that these minerals or elements emit. Think about that. This is how they can tell if the chemical change has taken place in substances. It is an incredible device. So when we talk about color, color again goes back to Pythagoras in 550 BC, where he noted that various colors could um, elicit various not only physical, but psychological changes within individuals. I remember reading many years, many, many years ago where they were talking about color and they went into prisons where they had really tough uh, prisoners and they would paint the walls pink and they became very docile. And they took that same color into a weightlifting room where these big bruising guys were holding, you know, the barbell up and they put the pink color two inches from their eyes and they couldn't lift the weight. Or how about this one? One of the universities painted the opposing locker room pink. So during half time, <laughs> you have a sports background. The football players went in there and after 20 minutes they came out, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, let's get them. They used the color pink. They painted walls of students studying different colors and they could raise the IQ. So color, color has been around. Albert Einstein won a Nobel Prize for the photoelectric effect, where he showed every color had an energy attached to it. And so the idea of color therapy throughout time has been that color has an effect. Now, the biggest misnomer has been, oh, you only get color through the eyes. That is false. And if color is applied to the skin, as some of these color systems are, it will elicit various changes. Let There Be Light is the name of the book by Darius Dinshaw, writing about his father, Dinshaw Gadiali, Let There Be Light, which mentions 360 diseases and illnesses, what color is applied, why that color is applied, and where it's applied on the body. And so I have personally, for demonstration purposes only, have worked with over 300 people, animals, and plants using color with great results. And in the literature, there were 500 U.S. doctors using color therapy in the 20s. Doctors, U.S. doctors, and their cases until the AMA said any doctor using color therapy is going to lose their license, and the doctors went away from it. So color is extremely profound. And the studies have shown when they went into um, factories or office buildings, dark blue colors, the people were always complaining, we're cold, we're cold. 
And yet the thermometer, the temperature gauge was reading the same. Pink, orange, red room were hot, were hot. But temperature gauge is there. You know, in the Bible, it talks about God's covenants with the rainbow. With the rainbow, let there be light, color. Now, here's another one for you. Premature babies, infant liver syndrome, yellow jaundice. All the babies were dying except the ones closest to the window until a very smart nurse said, wait a minute. These babies next to the window are, are living. And then they discovered within the white light range was exactly the color that was needed to negate the yellow jaundice. Color is all around us. You talked about the green. Green is the best balancing color. And again, I've, I've worked with many, many people, and that was one of my top 10 books, Let There Be Light. And by the way, the color system, to put the whole thing together, there are companies that sell a, a projector with 12 Dinshaw color slides for $100. But why wouldn't that? Why doesn't medicine like it? Oh, there's not much money to be made. Mm-hmm. So in color theory practice, and it's it's definitely getting some ground out there these days. Yes. I cannot recall here. You went to the hospital, right? Was this your dad? It was my father who uh, he complained of back spasm. <clears throat> they used an unsterilized needle at Kaiser Permanente Hospital, and he ended up with an infection that that they had to do brain surgery, which left my dad as a quadriplegic. I'm very familiar. I just had guests and, and took out the, the uh, doctor's analysis. And they told my mom they were going to start quadriplegic training. Well, my parents called me, my mom called me, and we decided to bring this color system into Kaiser Permanente Hospital. And we used it, we used it, one hour in the morning, one hour in the evening, I told the head of neuro, neurosurgery, Dr. Mahomar, said, is this going to affect the pacemakers? And I said, no, we're not going to affect the pacemakers or the electricity in the hospital. Six weeks later, my dad walked out of Kaiser Permanente on two crutches, with a neurogenic bladder, they said he never urinated again on his own. When he came home, I used a device called the multiple wave oscillator with the color. After two sessions, he was urinating on his on his own for the rest of his life. And five weeks later, he was driving a stick shift car. People say, oh, my God, you know, here's the great story. Did you go out and make the discovery how to save your dad? Well, that's a better story, but no, I already had that information and saved my dad. This is, uh, every time I hear stories like this, I, I get the goosebumps, and I, I love getting the goosebumps. This is, it's so phenomenal to me. And so 
you know, this is also taking agency and um, and and giving ourselves the the ability to say, "I'm I believe in myself, and I believe in these techniques, these these things, these protocols that have been ironed out in the past and are somehow occulted from us." And so now in the world, if somebody wants to apply this, you were using gels. In the hospital. Yeah. I mean, it was that simple. Yes, it was Roscoline filtered. But I don't know how much time we have, but I want to ratchet this up along with what you just said, one notch higher with your permission. Oh, let's do it. So when I was very young, even before I had my world research, I was driving through the desert from Los Angeles to Las Vegas. I was 22 years old. And Paul Harvey the great radio personality was on, yes. and he told, he told the story. Every year at Harvard, the head of the heart division tells the students the following story. He would sit interns was making the rounds in the hospital, and they came to the bed of a patient who was in a coma, uh, ready to die at any moment, and the heart was just completely broken up. He puts a stethoscope on the patient in the co- who's in a coma and says, now, to the interns, listen to this beat. Now listen to the wholeness. So the other six interns each put their stethoscope on and said, oh, yeah, we hear it. Well, that patient did not die that day. The next day came out of the coma. Two days later was walking around and a week later was checking out of the hospital when the doctor came up to him and said, you are a miracle. And the man said, what are you talking about? And the doctor said, we expected you to die. And the man said, that's not what you told me. The doctor says, what did I tell you? Well, when you said how old my heart was and six other doctors agreed, I thought it was okay. Do you realize the implicate what you do? The implications of that and his heart was a hundred percent rectified because he misheard what the doctor said <laughs> or how about this little cutie a 92 year old man goes to his doctor wasn't feeling, feeling well for an examination one week later the doctor sees this patient out with the most beautiful woman on his arm well, the patient came back two months later for a checkup, and the doctor said, wow, you are really doing well. And the man said, doc, I just followed your advice. Get a hot mama and be cheerful. <laughs> the doctor says, I didn't say that. I said, you have a heart murmur and be careful. <laughs> hilarious. Oh my is goodness. That a, is that a good one? But you know, I gave you two stories. One is story joke and one reality. I'm ratcheting it up because, uh, again, I know we only have 12 hours, so I wanted to get this in. <laughs> there are higher precepts. The highest precept is our thought, our belief, supersedes every mechanical, physical aspect. 
So I haven't even checked that again. So, okay, so with that, and I'm with you on this, I, I absolutely agree. We get back to what Jung calls those complexes that we develop at young age, right? This is, this is the stuff that's programmed into us by whomever is raising us. And, um, so, and you find that those are the hurdles people work with. So, one can by hearing something differently of course this reframes the situation which changes the neural pathways right in the brain this this opens up that whole different uh realm of synaptic okays to move forward the idea of programming starts to look very interesting when we look at youth in this realm and how we are programmed early on, much like how animals imprint upon the first thing they see, right? Are you my mommy? And you got a turtle imprinted to a crow, you know? <laughs> and so, and so, oh, right. how does this play into all that when one's trying to overcome these ideas, this early programming? The, what's a hard programming here, Stephen? What, what is, what is all this? Can you untangle some of this for me? I will try. Did you ever see the movie My Cousin Vinny? What was, what was that movie? My Cousin Vinny? Yes. I barely remember it, though. He goes to the judge, I want to talk about the youths. <laughs> I'm sorry. See, I, I, I get up track and say, what? Youths. Youths. I mean, youths? Yes. Well, the programming, how how do we get away from programming when the TV commercials go, if you sneeze twice, you've got hoof and mouth disease. If you've got, if we, we've got programming on the airway, we've got programming in our culture, we've got programming in our environment, we've got possibly programming for, from our friends, our family, and if Thoughts are there. We not only have all of the verbalized jargon, but all of these thoughts around us, including I am trying to get better to holistic, and people around us are smiling like they're supporting that. But if they think it's not going to work, they're influencing me. This is a very, very interesting question that you brought up about how are we going to buffer ourselves from all of this minutiae that is coming from basically every aspect of our existence. And the only answer again, since you, you don't throw any softball questions to me, but it is to go inside and anchor yourself to that higher self, to your own truth, to open the passageways of communication to the highest realms. They are there. Your spiritual family is there. My spirits may not be the same, although Nish, you and I, Probably because we've interconnected and I have a great rapport with you. 
we're probably of the same spiritual family. I'm sure we are yeah. because of our thoughts. Yeah, I feel we, it. We want to anchor into this because there's so much. We're back to my dream again with the people in the steam and the lady dressed in blue, Sophia. We've got to go back to trusting ourselves. How many times I've heard this example? Um, a, a lady who, uh, this is the mother, <clears throat> the grandmother of a good friend of mine, goes back to the doctor. The doctor says, whoa, these pills have been working. And she told them that she had flushed them down about two months earlier because she was getting feeling sick every time she was taking the pills. Every aspect of her life, diarrhea, couldn't sleep at night. She just flushed it down the toilet. Now, am I saying don't follow medicine? No. What I am saying is trust yourself. Yes. I just had someone who, um, I, I happened to do another show that came out on dying. <clears throat> and so I was getting a woman. She contacted World Research. It came to me. She says, uh, I understand you said you are not healing others. You're trying to empower people to heal themselves. I just have the following. I swear to you, there have to be eight major health problems with this woman. Well, what is that saying? You are not living your life in balance. Yeah. Yep. You have to look at that and not expect some magical intervention outside. And when I counsel people over the years, here is my philosophy. I don't know if you've seen the video. It's called LEFL. L-E-F-L. It stands for laughter, excitement, fun, and love. So somebody comes to me and I go, Nish, when was the last time you laughed? And would you people say to me, let me see, when was the last Oh, my goodness. <laughs> when was the last time I laughed? Okay, what do you do for fun? Oh, work. No, you have an ulcer from your work. What do you do for fun? What excitement? What the, the laughter, the excitement part? Something to look forward. What passion do you have? And love doesn't mean you got to have the physical love. But you, you have love and beauty in your life. When I check someone's lepholometer and they're devoid of one or more, that is the difficulty. So to get back to what you said, how do we blank it out? By living in harmony, living in balance, knowing that your decisions, your choices, not as you said in the early, not yours, niche, but the people in the audience, your choices have elicited what you have going on in your life. You don't like it? You need to look at what you're doing. Yeah. You need to look at who you're listening to. You need to look at how you're acting. And you need to keep that TV off and not have it blaring in your house Six and seven hours a day. Breaking news. This is happening. Knock that crap off. And you're going to find you're going to start feeling healthy. When we think about the emanations of thoughts, 
as waves. And I think everyone's had this experience where you just know, and these are usually people that are more sentient, like clairsentient, can see this in strangers. But I think everyone can see this in those that they know around them, a lover, a parent, a child, good friends. When you are doing something and you can hear in your mind's ear with your your spiritual ears or see images, whatever they are, that the person that you're speaking with is not believing you or so look, let's look at this as like you decide I'm not going to go get cut and chemo burned and all this. I, I might go to do the Gerson therapy, right? Yeah. And you yeah. get, you get those thoughts that are not said. Those thoughts are still there and they're emanating out and they do come at you. So the people, like I said, with clairsentience and all this can feel this, this stuff still comes. And this is the problem I see sometimes, Stephen, is that if they can't see it, it's like a gas, right? If they can't see it or actually you can right. feel it, but if they're not tuned but, in to feel it, like that fragrance of the rose, yeah, yeah, you can you can smell it. You're lucky you can you can smell it, but you don't see it. Yes, and the thoughts are even more subtle. And these they're, affect they're, us. Yeah, no, you're yeah. Go ahead, I interrupt you. Well, that's where I wanted to go with this is like, this is a form of like sympathetic realities and these waves affect us. And then if you have this hardcore programming, the I can't programming or the, these are the two gurus of health and it's all the allopathic system that wants to keep you down and sick and all this. And you're trying to find agency and trying to go in a natural way. And you're around all that people that are silent, but they're not silent. The, the scent of what they are giving off affects you. And this, I see a lot of this going on right now, Stephen, I see a lot of people wanting to break out of their programming and they're afraid to do it because of core programming. But then all this negative energy that's unspoken verbally, but is coming at them from their core circle keeps them down. And inevitably they end up on a path they don't want to be on despite their higher self saying there's another way. You know, funny. Because uh, I, I haven't seen a lot of the comedian Bob Newhart, but just two days ago, uh, a video has been circulating, and this woman comes into him. He's a psychiatrist, and she says, "Oh, I've heard very highly of you." And he says, "Here's how I operate: You've got five minutes. It's going to cost you five dollars. I don't make change." And it's going to be done in five minutes. Are you okay with this? Lady goes, well, this sounds a little too good to be true. And it will be $5 and you are going to come up with the answer to my problem. That's exactly right. But again, I don't give change. Okay. So he says, are you ready to begin? And she goes, yes. He says, okay, I've got two words for you. She says, should I write them down? She's taken out of that. He goes, no, I think you can remember the two words. And she, he said, what was your problem? 
I'm afraid I'm going to be locked into a box um, and not be able to get out. Well, has that ever happened in your life? If somebody said they were going to put you in a box, no. Okay, so again, two words. You agree? Yes. And many else have taught me this line. Beans over the test mills. Stop it. <laughs> go, what? <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> and he says that three or four times. He goes, whoa, whoa. Kind of harsh. And he says, you see? And two minutes went by. She goes, well, I should get my full five minutes. He goes, okay. What other problems do you have? Should you come up with another problem? What does he do? Leans forward. Stop it. <laughs> so, okay, so that's a little harsh. But when people say, well, how do I do this? What do I do? How do I stop this? How do I stop this thinking? There is no magic because virtually when you use all these other things, you're really not getting to the core. That is the problem. When lymph nodes are removed from the body, I have to tell people, you know, when you put your trash out on the week in your trash can, does the company take your trash barrel away? Why are you cutting out the, the trash receptacle in the body? Yeah. When the trash circulates to other areas. Some things are just common sense logic which doesn't exist in the medical community, unfortunately, but we are logical people. And somebody needs to follow and question, what is the magic? There's 8 billion people, and for some of these um, aspects, there's 8 billion answers. I have told people sometimes, they, they tell me about a problem, I said, you need to go and find a grassy area and have your feet touch the grass. Oh, why? They needed to go back to nature. But you gave my friend some kind of real sophisticated golf for you. That's what you need. For someone else, I said, you need to go miniature golfing. What? Yeah, you need to become as a kid again. Yeah. So um, when, when people have these, how do we buffer ourselves? How about playing better music? How about not getting caught up in the minutiae of the world? You know, the politics is playing. I, I will guarantee you a thousand percent when you bebop into spirit, you will never look at whether you were a Republican or a Democrat or an independent or what. That is part of the game here. Yes. But again, it's not walking, you know, head in the sand, it's understanding. How much energy are you going to devote to things that you have no control over? You said the key word there, energy. And so as we're getting closer to our first session, because we have to have more, I need more. So as as we're the energy here, and it reminds us now to an hour. <laughs> I think uh, we're, we're over two hours. Isn't it wonderful? How long, how long is your normal show? Oh, I, I don't have hard rules. Oh, great. Okay, so <laughs> now you can go back. We, yeah, we can. I'm always here. What else is the librarian going to do? But inform you. Know? you. 
<laughs> so when we're talking about energy and we, we didn't touch on this because here we are now. So we've got these masters and I'm saying that, you know, in a, in a certain sense, I'm not putting them on pedestals, but these were some big, these were big people, Rife and Nemos and, and, and Vogel with his work. These are big. We stand on those shoulders. And, but there's also Tesla and energy and vibration and frequency. Uh, and so when we're looking at the nature of this realm we are in, you know, t- Tesla was big on that 369. He was big on that, those, those three principles. And I see that woven without everything we've talked about today. And we all know, you know, because he became the most famous, I think. Rife really is right there with him, but Tesla just blew up. He became really a, a, quite a figure out there. But at the end of the day, he was on to it. And he was. He was. And another book I gave in my top 10, which I think your audience should have, and it's exactly where you're going, is the Hybalion. Yes. <laughs> A-Y-B-A-L-I-O-N by the three initiates. The underlying principles of all existence, all religions, all philosophy, all energy, all matter, all spirit. The Kabbalion. So I, I wanted to interject that in because that is the underlying principle of what all these people are saying, what all these individuals are saying. By the way, we haven't spoken much about uh, females, and it's unfortunate that it's been in a lot of history kind of male-dominated, but um, there were some brilliant, brilliant women throughout history that also changed the dynamics of this world big time i think we should on our next one we'll we'll talk about the females there the ladies have always been there and uh this is a subject close to my heart of course it's also part of the misdirect that's gone on with the kind of good old boys club right the thing is rife and tesla and nemos and i don't know about mr vogel but those guys certainly became i don't want to use the word victim but they became mowed down by the good old boys club and 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 so it's that same club that is have kept women at a certain level so they've been unsung heroes out there but some have really been able to shine and and i recognize that but when i have 18 hours so we (laughs) we have eternity (laughs) because you know with inflation i just keep adding those hours (laughs) no seriously anytime right I am always available for you anytime um, you or your audience says, uh, as long as they're not going tomatoes. Um, <laughs> well, see, this is, I, I knew this was going to be magical for me. I just knew. But let's get, let's get back to this for a minute with Tesla. So when we're looking at these qualities of the structure and dynamic of the experience we're having collectively in this dreaming, in the dreaming, and we look at these principles and I think about the dreams I've had, the lucid dreams where 
Yes, they're more vivid than reality, but while I'm in them, they are the reality. And everything else becomes something else. We could parse this out into into nuance, but I'm just going to keep it there for simplicity. I feel like when I come back in here, Stephen, that I'm checking in. It's one of these things I've always said. It takes me a minute to get back into my body. All that I am has to kind of get wiggled. It's like a corset or a girdle or something. I have to get back into here. And I wake up happy. I've always been a one that wakes up happy. It's very rare that I, I'm not happy uh, when I wake up. But that's that's just my nature and it always has been. Now, as someone that is very clairsentient, if I wake up into an environment that's there's someone died and there's a lot of hardship going on, and lately the world is like this, you know, the Our Lady of Sorrows comes through and I wake up and I'm still me and I'm still like this this miracle of consciousness, but I become aware that in the field there are emanations of whatever of sadness, of, of elation, maybe something wonderful happened. But this is at play here, and that's what I wanted to kind of wrap on, is this idea of how we're collectively making this democracy of reality and how it's like a manifold, how it's folding in, moving and turning, and that our emanations, our thoughts even if they don't come to the spoken word, are creating realness in the world outside. And this, to me, ties directly into when I'm lucid in a dream. Do you see this, Tether? Well, I'm going to bring something up, because since we have 24 hours, we can just keep talking, (laughs) and that is Manly Hall Sippus. Those individuals who are angry, will attract all the anger that exists within their neighborhood. And if they're really angry, all the anger that exists in their city or the state or the country. If anger, the hatred, you will draw to you all the way, everything that exists in the universe. Think about that. Everything existing all of the hatreds and all of the dimensions will come to that individual, which will incite them to more hatred and more violence and more whatever it is. It's fields upon fields upon fields. But there are great founts coming from creation, beauty, love, the crystal, the plants. What? Are we choosing to resonate with? He has to devils and devils will get. He has to angels and angels he will get. The devil is a boogeyman created by the churches. The ultimate energy from creation is love and beauty. It is our thought forms that have created an activity the devil and energized it because we're so afraid. This is a thought forming reality and we have been taught to thought form in the negative. We don't expect good things to happen. That would be my response. He has two angels 
and angels who did. Mm, I love that. I love that. There's so much more that we have so much more. I am definitely looking forward to our next 24 hours. I want to thank you, Dr. Stephen A. Ross, for coming to the Salon and engaging in this absolutely beautiful conversation throughout this afternoon. How did people find you? Less Complicated has my philosophical writings, uh, my books I've written and books I recommend. My YouTube channel uh, is less, and it's all one word, Less Complicated with Dr. Stephen A. Ross. And health information is at wrf.org where we have health information packets on 300 diseases and illnesses. Um, and that's pretty much it. When people somehow find a way of contacting me, if, if they have more direct questions, and uh, I always do my best to respond to people. I'm not going to be their healer uh, <laughs> because I'm going, to, I'm going to be their cheerleader so that they end up healing themselves. Yes. That's the way. And, and Nish, thank you. Again, I'm going to end with what I started. I never take these for granted. <clears throat> I appreciate that you are allowing this time for us to share. Well, I'm in deep gratitude of this, and I was very much looking forward to this, and it's been wonderful. I feel a real connection to you, Stephen. I want to thank you sincerely and I want to have more so there will be more we will come together we'll talk about the ladies there's so many ways to go there are 50,000 books behind you but best wishes to you and thank you and there he goes Dr. Stephen A. Ross that was a deeply fulfilling conversation and hopefully just the beginning of many to come. There's so much territory to cover. I would like to thank the producers of this show. Cass, Claire Cathcart, Denise Bissell, Eggtooth, Liz Radican, Inky, Eric Peterson, Heather, Jake Vanek, Kate Kukulkan, Carrie, Laura Dunn, Leela Marie, Lou B, Marcy Shapiro, Mark Betcher, Melanie Poe, Mia Bell, Neil McNaughton, Myra, Noelle Jeanette, Pam Hodall, Rod Knight, Sarah Etta Eckrich, Stephen Mercer, Susan Miller, Wise Night Owl, and Babs, who does all the moderating and uh, is the bone knitter genealogist extraordinaire, as well as everyone else that contributes to the mission here, which is to talk to interesting people about interesting things. All uh, Art Bell and the, the greats that have dealt with the woo in the realm and the interesting, the unusual. And that is always my goal. 
How much deeper can we go? What else is out there? What is unseen and where are we not supposed to look? I want to know more, don't you? The dreamer loves the dream. The dreamer feeds the dream. And the dreamer awakens within the dream. Thank you for dreaming here with me in the Cosmic Salon.